Welcome to Building Better Businesses, an ABA podcast. Learn firsthand from business owners who built successful ABA businesses. Utilize proven techniques and strategies to help your practice thrive. This is Building Better Businesses, an ABA podcast with Jonathan Mueller. Dr. Amanda Kelly, also known as Behavior Babe, has focused her career on showcasing effective applications of applied behavior analysis, and most notably extending to areas of public policy, ethics, and sustainable behavior change. Dr. Kelly successfully participated in autism insurance reform legislative efforts in Massachusetts and Hawaii. She's received considerable recognition and awards, including Provider Advocate of the Year and Advocacy Group of the Year. She now serves as Chief Clinical Officer for Breakthrough Behavior based in Orlando, Florida. Welcome to the pod, Amanda. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Oh my gosh, I'm such a fanboy and I am psyched for this conversation. And, 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 and to start, Amanda, I'm going to read the audience an excerpt of some of your professional accomplishments from 2020. So um, you developed an ethics course in the Philippines. You took on chief clinical officer role with Breakthrough Behavior. You consulted with the Uden Center for Neurodevelopment. You penned a book deal on ethics. You got the Champion Award. You uh, died with Drs. Cooper Heron and Howard. You attended a couple conferences. I mean, there was overwhelming connection and compassion felt by others in the field was one of your accomplishments. So Amanda, which of these are you most proud of? Well, you know, it's really interesting because the important part to keep in mind is that it was 2020. And I think it would have been notable. It's always wonderful to go to conferences, but the two that I really reflected on from last year were the ones that were in person because it's it's been so long since uh, people have been able to be in person. So those are really important for me. Um, with regard to the ethics book, yeah, I accepted the opportunity to write that book uh, the the week before the pandemic started. Um, let me tell you, it's been quite a journey doing that with everything else going on in the world. And so I'm like, it's bittersweet. I'm like grateful and resentful at the same time. Um, and then the, you know, the ethics course in the Philippines in particular, we had also a shift in the global recognition of the certification after that course was, you know, part of the course sequence. And so it's really the opportunity to have probably one cohort uh, make it through before those changes. And as I was starting to record some of the content, uh, the pandemic had started, people were quarantining. And I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna wait two weeks so that I don't sound anxious or I'm not really confused by what's going on in the world. Um, and then it was like two weeks turned into two months, turned into two years just about. So I eventually had to go ahead and record that content. <laughs> and um, you know, it's a product of our environment as we always are. So I would say I'm probably perhaps the most proud of, of that one. Um, uh, breakthrough could maybe be my, my 2021 accomplishment. I actually took that position in the last month of the year. So um, it stands out as much more of a 2021 activity. Ah, it, it's just a whirlwind of extraordinary. Well, you know, one of the things, as I understand about you, Amanda, is that you grew up, uh, your parents were in the army, and so you traveled a lot. Uh, I can identify that my parents were diplomats in the foreign service, so I traveled a lot. And a lot of BCBAs around the country are, you know, moving around, especially during COVID. So, you know, what did you learn growing up traveling so much like to be successful in new settings? 
Yeah, so my father is now a retired colonel in the Army, and, um, you know, I think my mom played just as much of a role being uh, a military spouse. And, you know, we moved around. It's all relative. I think for me it was a lot compared to many people that I know as an adult, um, but maybe not as much as other people whose families were also in the military, depending on where they were stationed. Um, but I've always reflected back on if, if I wasn't moving, my friends were. So as a, as a child in particular, I kind of, with my personality, took it as, um, guess you gotta make friends quickly or, or establish relationships and create connections and be really willing to be flexible and adapt. Um, I actually do attribute a lot of that to why I decided, well, well why behavior analysis found me and why it fit well. Um, I can walk into, you know, schools and new homes, new situations, new locations, and have a sense of familiarity. It's always a bit nerve-wracking, so I won't say just because I have experience, it's always comfortable. I think there's some healthy anxiety that goes with operating in new locations and with new people. Um, but, you know, I also think my experience has been that the majority of people are a pleasure to get to know in the world, and I think everyone has a really cool story if we if we like stop to ask and uh, to listen to what their story is. So I've always been really fascinated by other people. So true. Everyone has a story, a powerful story. And um, it was interesting, you mentioned healthy anxiety. You know, I was diagnosed at, um, as an adult with ADD and generalized anxiety. And so it's a journey that I'm still on. Um, but I mean, it's so prevalent during COVID. Tell me more about that term, healthy anxiety. Uh, well, I've, I've had a journey with anxiety myself. Um, in 2018, I actually received a generalized anxiety disorder as an adult. And I think a lot of that had to do with circumstances in my life and uh, a lot of pretty significant and substantial advocacy efforts, which, you know, when you carry the weight of the world can become quite heavy and take a toll. Um, I still think that there is this level, though, of really positive and healthy anxiety, and I define that as things that help you get things done. Um, things that, for me, uh, <laughs> I'm multitasking here. I have, a, I have a pooch in the background who just sees that our, our, our trash man is here, uh, which is creating a little bit of anxiety for me, right? So when you think about that, you think, okay, yeah. <laughs> people get a little bit distracted. Um, you know, you might kind of fumble on your words. Those are some ways it can manifest. But when anxiety reminds you to put the trash out, like, oh, I, I don't want to forget about this appointment. Or when it when it's productive and making sure you have the materials you need to get going what you, what you want to um, accomplish or set out to do, I consider that pretty healthy anxiety. It's okay to be a little nervous. Um, when people tell me like, hey, I'm really feeling anxious about taking the exam or going into a new setting or meeting a new client for the first time. And I'm like, well... I think I'd be concerned if you weren't nervous. And so it is not for me lumping everything as stressful and, and painful or something to avoid. Oftentimes it can be just really recognizing that anxiety. So um, sometimes for me, and I have, have a podcast episode about this where it started manifesting on airplanes, which is like my one of my favorite places, which is so bizarre. I hear most people don't feel that way about airports and airplanes. But for me, it's an opportunity to meet all these new people. Um, now, I'm not the person who's going to pester you if you don't want to talk. Like, I get that too. But I see it as an opportunity where you're in someone's environment. And if they're friendly, you can be friendly back. And if they're, you know, uh, uncertain, you can provide comfort. Like, there's just this opportunity. 
And I think for me, it was also traveling from Hawaii to everywhere else was really long opportunities. So I found ways to really enjoy them. Um, but when I had my first panic attack that I understood was a panic attack was when I was on an airplane and you want to feel trapped and figure out like, how can you run away or just find your own space? Like you can't. Um, and so that was something to really work through. And I remember in that moment, the only thing I could recall was uh, uh, something Pat Fryman had told me. And I couldn't even remember what he had told me. I just remember the number four. And I was like, I don't know what it is. It's number four. So I was like breathing and holding my breath for four, trying to exhale and count to four. And then the, the second piece of that is you're supposed to do it four times or something like that. Um, when I had future experiences, I had as like a book nerd that I am, I had delved in and like, I want to read the research. I want to know what other people are saying about this. And for me, one of the most healthy, helpful, I should say, uh, ways to respond to anxiety is to expect it to occur sometimes. And I remember one of the tips and one of the books said, label it. It said, welcome it. And I was like, I don't want to welcome it. I don't like how I'm feeling. And it, but it actually gave this script of like, ah, anxiety here you are again. I knew you were coming. I just didn't know when. And I thought that's so foolish. Like I have all this like self-talk in my head, like that's not going to work. But when you're in that moment and you have nowhere to go and you're in your head and potentially alone, uh, it was really helpful for me. I'm like, ah, here you are again. I, so I started to, uh, not welcome it, but in, in that way, create an awareness with it. And it, it has helped me then say, oh, I need to, and then whatever, you know, response works best for me, um, I can engage in that. Whereas other times I think things would boil up and they would, I would just know that I was anxious because I, I snapped or I withdrew or something like a little bit, I would say more major, more overt. Um, and it's, it's been really helpful to find mm. those covert signals for myself. Oh my gosh, thank you for your vulnerability in sharing that. I mean, this is like, I, I, I feel like anxiety is a journey that, you know, most everyone goes on. You know, when I come home and I have my, um, uh, and I'm transitioning, right, from a long day at work and I'm about to walk in the door, I've got three young kids, I have to actually, like, give myself space. Like, coming back to that self-awareness that, that you talk I have to, like, count to 10 before I go in. Because if I hear my kiddos crying, I don't know, it's just a trigger for me. And then, like, my whole body seizes up and I'm like, and I, yes, I, I tend toward this, like, anger. Um, so I really like that idea of like create self-awareness and expect it and, and welcome it in a certain way. That's, um, that's powerful. You I, know, I want to share to you some, about... oh, sorry. <laughs> no, please. I got so excited. You, you said like when you're entering the door and it made me think of, of something else to share. Um, a couple years ago, I went with, uh, Katie Endicott Harris, uh, Mila Kim and, and Tyra Sellers. They were, we were all in Hawaii for our conference. And, uh, the short version of the story is we're at the tattoo shop, the tattoo parlor, and <laughs> I end up getting a heart on my wrist and I want to design my next tattoo. So I didn't want anything real detailed. I went with the outline and it was interesting because the tattoo artist was like i'm not going to tell you where to put your tattoo or if it's the right color or if it's silly because it's your body you know he's like i just i'm the artist like whatever you need and he went to put the heart on my wrist and he put it with the point facing the world facing out and i was like actually can you turn that around 
And he goes, look, I'm not going to tell you, but I have to, I have to say to you, like, usually people get this to symbolize like giving love. And he's like, and so you want to give it out to the world. And I was like, actually, I'm really good at that. I think I'm not so good at like pausing and stopping and giving it to myself. And what triggered me telling you the story was you say when you're like walking in the door, one of these really interesting byproducts of this tattoo on my wrist here is that I put a key in the door and I flip my wrist over. My phone rings and I run over and I pick it up. And the first thing I see, like when I'm doing that visually is this reminder to like, hey, like, do you need to pick up that phone right now? Hey, what do you need to do before you walk in the door? Um, and it's been just like a really, really cool, like prompt, if you will, for myself. Oh, love it. Turning ABA inward, <laughs> like toward ourselves. Oh, what well, I, I feel like it's like disclosure hour now. So, cause I, I don't think I've told anyone this except my wife. I have, uh, I have a tattoo. Uh, I won't say where it is, but it's Qing Tian Pi Li. And it's Chinese, it's four Chinese characters because I was an Asian studies uh, major and I studied abroad in, in Beijing way back in the day. Uh, and it means the translation is thunder from a clear sky, which effectively is like the unexpected. And so when I got this, when I was young as a teenager, I was like, uh, dude, that's what I want my life to be, unexpected, because that sounds fun, but who knows? I like your love tattoo much better. <laughs> Thanks, Jonathan. Um, so, you know, we talk so much, Amanda, um, you know, in business in general about brands and the importance of brands, um, but you don't often hear people talk about um, one's personal brand. Yeah, I feel like this is, your personal brand is like so critical. Like that's, that's one thing that like no one takes from you. That's nearly fully in your control. And so, um, you know, you demonstrate a personal brand so well and so genuinely and effectively. So. Uh, like, tell me more, Amanda, why is it important for people in our field to be intentional about um, both their organization's brand, but also really their own personal brand? I, you know, I think it really comes down to, to the more we learn about ourselves, the more authentic versions we can be. And a lot of that journey is identifying your values, like what's important to you as an individual. And then when we find companies that really fit for us, they might not fit for our very good friend next to us. But if they're a good fit for us, it's because there's usually an aligned and a shared, you know, value system. And so I find that particularly early in careers or maybe even later in careers for most, I, I don't know, I would need to do some sampling where people feel like this is where I'm going to work. I feel comfortable about this. And sometimes that changes. It changes when you get a new supervisor. It changes when you end up with in a new position. And so that's where I think it can be really important to be distinct because your, you know, who you are is going to evolve over time. And that's okay if where you work does too. I think what I find very difficult is when people don't know what's important to them, you may find yourself constantly either chasing after something that's undefined or doesn't exist. Um, and a lot of times in my life, I have found that the best opportunities have been really hard fought, um, but have been sort of self-created or initiated. And, and so, you know, one thing I could say about that is like with the behavior babe, you know, brand, I never intended it to be a brand. I never knew what social media was going to do because behavior babe started when social media sort of started. And I don't think any of us understood where this was headed um, or could fully comprehend and predict. 
but I was never selling anything. I was never, and, and I think it's okay if people are. So like, let me be clear about that. But then I think that comes back to more of a professional branding. So a lot of what I was trying to do and what I continue to try to do is to get information to people. Science shouldn't be so mysterious, I don't think. And certainly I can't give you everything you need on a website or on a social media post. You're gonna need to access um, somebody who's highly qualified in your organization or as your mentor or to be that person to people you're mentoring. But like, where are the basics and where can we all just put our finger on and how can we just go into a website or some browser and pull that up and have it available to us? That was the motivation behind creating Behavior Babe, if you will. And then it's evolved. I think a big part of why um, it became so noticed by people was also I was in Hawaii, so I was like really far away um, from the majority of people practicing in, in the United States. And um, I think it became this like, oh, what's going on there in this really cool place? And it became about I could use that personal brand, if you will, and then I leveraged that to help us with advocacy in Hawaii. So it, these things can merge together and can segue into pieces and you'll find sometimes you don't you don't know where you begin and end and where your organization or your professional brand be begins and ends. But it is important, I think, to be aware and to be intentional. And, and if you haven't been or if you're not sure how you got where you got today, just take a moment and stop and ask yourself where you want to go tomorrow and then you can just pivot. You know, I think it, it's uncomfortable mm. and it's hard to do that. It's not as easy as I just made it sound, but it's also what I learned from being an army brat is that this is going to change. So get ready to make the most of the change and, mm. and to, you know, try to enjoy the journey as they say. Yeah. I love that you use your brand for good. I, I, I see that. Uh, it's, uh, it was uh, Peter Parker's aunt or uncle who said with great power comes great responsibility and so and, I don't know, you're you're a great example of it of someone who's using their brand in a responsible way for a lot of good so I'm curious for our listeners if you could recommend when it comes to their own personal brand um, one thing they should start doing and one thing they should stop doing what would that be uh. Gosh, one thing. I love and despise these questions. I think one thing that we should always do is connect with the original sources of information. Um, it's the most, I think, uh, I say authentic, but also just genuine way to not have things lost in translation. So whether that's reading a particular uh, subset of literature in our field, whether it's immersing yourself, but like not just taking other people's word for things. Um, for me in particular, something that I recommend often to people is if you want to help, if you're a service driven individual and many people in our, well, our industry certainly are, um, many people in different organizations and other mental health fields, they definitely are. I've always found when I enter into a new space, I'm there to see what I can give, not what I can get. And I think if you are intentional with that mindset, you will, you will find that you will receive a lot in return. So I've done a lot of volunteering um, in Hawaii. It was with the Hawaiian Monk Seal Foundation. It wasn't anything behavior analytic, but I got to meet scientists. I got to take data. I got to learn about animals. I actually got to, um, well, I volunteered. I make it sound like it is a privilege, but I got to be uh, like the educational liaison at Sea Life Park, Hawaii, uh, explaining monk seals to young children and and what pollution does, and, and I care about sustainability and wrapping behavior analysis into that too. Um, so, you know, I would say is like, 
immerse yourself and, and give, give as much as you can. Now, with that said, you give so much that there's nothing left to give. That's a whole other problem. So I'm definitely somebody who's had to adjust in that area and say like, no, I can't do everything for everyone all the time. Um, but when you are really finding yourself honing in on, for me, I just, I get so, it's so reinforcing, right? So much of that reinforcement becomes intrinsically delivered when I feel like people are, are happy. Um, and I, and I'm personally motivated by that. Some things that people could stop doing. Uh, I think it's really helpful to be honest about where our field is, where we want our field to be. It's really useful to identify the areas of opportunity, but I wish we could stop with the negativity and toxicity that I see in many spaces. And I think some of that is, is a reflection of how we're all feeling after two years of being in this pandemic. Um, I think, you know, it is easy to get into a negative space. It's okay to, to visit occasionally in my, in my book. Um, but if we just, you know, if all we see is negativity, if all we seek is negativity, that's all we're going to see. Um, and I think the same is true with positivity. So my life isn't always, you know, <laughs> rainbows and unicorns, but you know, a lot of the time it is. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I, you know, when I think about negativity or there's, if I, if I have a reaction to a news article, like what I've had to shape myself, and I'm, to be honest, like I'm not great at this, but I have to shape myself to instead say, all right, Jonathan, be curious and go. And it just feels like on social media or anywhere else, if we um, were more active listeners with one another and more curious as opposed to jumping down one another's throats, I don't know, maybe, maybe uh, things could be a little better. Who knows? Well, yeah, I love that you, you said know, I'm, curiosity. I'm cur oh, again, you say something and I jump right in. I'm like, this this makes me think of, um, I give a presentation that's evolved over time and it's called D Difficult Conversation or like the ethics of, of effective uh, communication. And, you know, in that I talk about like we, it, you know, if we first seek to under, uh, understand before we seek to be understood, just how much different that shifts our frame of, and then I also say like as much as possible approach everything with curiosity and compassion so I just we didn't script this out ahead of time but when you said curiosity I was like yes I felt so magnetically attracted to that statement you know like yes just ask questions and and I think that that's important in daily practice and in business you know for sure um, I know that I can get frustrated by a circumstance or situation or why isn't something being rolled out as intended. And I have to ask, I have to remind myself, like, look, we don't get to blame the learner. Like we have to look at the system. We have to shift the environment. And when we can kind of take the approach of asking questions, I remember going into a teacher's classroom once and the classroom was completely bare right before the start of school and it's kindergarten. And in my head, I'm like, where are your primary colors? Where are the handprints on the wall? Where, where is something, you know, where's your calendar? And instead I walked in and said like, tell me more about, you know, what you've got going on for the classroom and how you envision, you know, like the decorations. And she's like, well, I really want to create it with my students in the first day, here are the three projects I have. And then I put these other things up. And I was like, cool, that sounds really awesome, Caitlin. Like you go for it. And if I had just imposed my concerns instead of approaching with curiosity, we would have had a very different conclusion. Always assume positive intent, right? And, and to your, 
point around curiosity and, and compassion. I, it's uh, yeah, it's like how Brene Brown says, "Hey, for people in the arena, like don't <laughs> don't blame them, right? Like you're not in the arena, so like someone who's in the arena, let them do it." Oh, I love that. That was that's goosebump inducing. I uh, tell me about a time that you were in over your head in an organization or a uh, or or an issue or or whatever in life. Like, how did you cope? What did you do? Um, so many times have I potentially found myself in over my head. Um, I, the first one that comes to mind is when I was offered my first consulting position and I was consulting to public schools and it was a district wide position. So I was responsible for about nine of the 13 schools. Um, I was not providing individualized, you know, what we would consider ABA or behavior support, but it's classroom consultation, uh, meeting with the administration. And I was 24 years old. And I thought, who in the world has hired a 24-year-old to tell all these veteran teachers what to do? And, you know, granted, I found behavior analysis or, or it found me when I was 18. So 24, I'm still like six years in. That's not like brand, brand new if you have found your passion early. Um, but I remember, you know, going to the director of my university program, going to colleagues and to others who I really respected and said, like, I feel like I'm in over my head. Like, how do I do this? What do I do? Maybe I'm not the right person for this position, um, even just when I was offered it. And I remember my director saying, if it's not you, it's someone else. And look at how much heart you have with this. So let's talk about what kind of support you need to do the right thing for this position. And so for me, it was like the partnership with mentors. It was reaching out to others. It was asking. It was being really honest where my like blind spots were and, and my weaknesses. At the same time, I learned not to sell myself short and to, to have a little bit more confidence because no, maybe I didn't know everything about what I thought somebody in that position would know, but I had such a desire and a passion to learn that you can, you can kind of navigate most problematic situations if you, again, come at it with curiosity and if you're aware of that. Um, other times where I've just been in over my head, I think of the Hawaii, uh, the advocacy we've done in Hawaii, um, mostly because we went up against behemoth systems and tried to do something that other people had tried to do in Hawaii for 10 years with no success. And I remember people saying to me, like, how do you think you're going to get a different outcome? Why do you think it's like... Why do you just walk in and feel like you can accomplish anything you set your mind to, Amanda? And I'm like, well, one, because I'm probably a little bit out there <laughs> detached from reality on occasion. But two, because like my parents raised me like you can do anything you set your mind to. And, and if you can't, then just you need to gather the right resources or wait for the right time or create something. So in Hawaii, I certainly wasn't the one. There was no one person who achieved what we achieved with licensure and with insurance, but it was believing it was possible. So even if you fill in over your head, if it's a good over your head, um, just rally the troops, get the resources and, and don't try to do it alone. It comes back to like channeling healthy anxiety. This whole idea that, um, that you know, you can, accomplish anything you set your mind to is that something you're born with or is that something that like that you can shape it's the age-old question nature versus nurture i'm a firm believer that we may be starting with different points starting out with different uh maybe some of us are a little bit more service oriented and some of us have different mission you know kind of brains and but i think back to what skinner said which is 
you know, give me a child, like basically a clean slate, a fresh start, and, and we can create essentially those conditions that can produce a doctor or produce an artist. So much of our behavior is increased or decreased, consecrated, right, by what we come into contact with, that I am a firm believer that um, your environment matters, no, even if you're, even if you weren't intrinsically born a certain way. And I don't, I just don't have enough information, but I'm kind of chuckling because my sister and I are very different people. Um, we have very different personalities and we had the same parents, but that's not to say we had the same environment. You know, she was, she was the first born. Maybe they learned some things with her mm. and then we had a different opportunity with me or my dad had not yet joined the military. So she lived around some extended family and I didn't have that opportunity. So our environments were different as well. I just think, you know, assume as we know that the environment matters and try to create the best, most stable, consistent, productive environments for your family, your friends, yourself as possible. Uh, assume the environment matters. Mm, I love it. it. It's, you know, as a, um, as a business owner or any aspiring business owner, in some ways, like you're, you're a little bit crazy, right? Like, like you described this vision that you have for all oh, this set of service that, 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 that we could provide or this organization that could do these great things, something that literally does not exist. So, I mean, just think about how many people over the course of history were like spouting ideas about stuff that didn't exist and were like chastised for that, right? And, <laughs> and, uh, and so I feel like the same way as a, as, a, like as a business owner, if you're creating something that does not yet exist, you have to have a little bit of that crazy or not crazy. That's not the right way to put it. You have to have a little bit of that conviction um, that come heck or high water or anything else, like this will happen. And I don't think there's any way to be successful in growing an organization in starting a business, in an advocacy effort, if you don't have that strong conviction. Yeah, if we, if we don't believe What's what, we're, what mm. we're fighting for is possible, then, I mean, are we really giving it our all in the fight? And if not, then why would, why would we mm. do anything half-assed? Like that to me is definitely not how I was yes. raised, right? If you're gonna do something, you give it your all, and if you yeah. can't give it your all, then you don't do it, and that's okay. You know, so part of how I've learned to navigate that is with that communication and that connection of a of a network. Hey, if I can't do it, but I know someone who can. Have you met Jonathan? Do you know Kristen? Mm. Um, that has allowed me to to feel like I'm still helping people and like I'm not saying no to everyone, but I can't be the one to do the work every time the answer is yes. Mm. Yes, uh, and, and having like. Yeah, the ability to discern when it's like, yes, I can take this on and I can do it versus I need to connect with my network. That's wisdom, it feels like. Tell me, like, what's the most important advice you would give uh, um, uh, an ABA business owner or an aspiring ABA business owner? Look at what's already been done and what's working well and what's not. Uh, I think that you can be both profitable and ethical at the same time. And I truly believe if you take care of your employees, they will help you take care of your clients. Ah, see, this is why I feel like we're sisters from another misstep because that was, as I said, four years ago, literally like in my kitchen table, like 20 feet away. That's what we said. Put, put your team members first. Your team members will put clients first every day of the week and twice on Fridays, right? Like that, that's just, that's axiomatic. That feels like the basics. Anyway, virtual high five, Amanda, because that's, <laughs> I feel the same. Um, tell me about you, like, your, you, your best self, 
What does that Amanda look like? I think about that. I think about that sometimes. I see I see glimmers of her again uh, from time to time. Pandemic is not has not is not when I'm thriving, and I don't think it's when anybody's thriving. Um, I find that sometimes we're in survival mode, and that is me at my best for this moment. So it's it's really important to think about about that. I know I mentioned the ethics book, and I thought to myself, is this really to my standards? And like, yeah, I mean, it's I think it's a really good book. I think everybody's going to really enjoy ethics as much as you can enjoy reading about ethics. Uh, and then I said to myself, but did you do the best you could do? And I'm like, yeah, I did. I totally did. So this is my best. And hopefully that 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 resonates with others. Me at my best self is really, you know, being able to travel, seeing lots of people, uh, helping, helping others, um, spending time with my puppy. She's, you know, new in my life. Uh, I think I feel the most able to innovate when I feel that level of passion and also stability in the sense that, you know, knowing that there are other people that are like-minded out in the field and then accessing them, like contacting them, like this conversation, uh, the cast calls sometimes, you know, it's just there's different bits and pieces that really fill the cup up for the rest of the week. And when I can schedule those to be in my life as often as possible, um, I think I, I don't know that there's any limit to my excitement uh, and, and the level of innovation. Mm. So I feel like, you know, we talk a lot about compassion. We talk a lot about excellence and those definitely need to happen. And in order to be that dreamer, you have to be you have to be able to innovate. And people can't innovate when we're just trying to figure out the day to day and when the day to day is not working. So I'm at my best when, like, you know, life's sort of coasting and going really well. I've also found in the last year into in particular, like how I navigate the darker times. And I think that whether that's a business, right, when the business isn't doing exactly what you want it to do, it's always remembering what those successes look like and remembering that, you know, the road in the world is it's, it's a journey and there will be ups and there will be downs. So when you're always up, don't don't forget that you won't always be up. And when you're feeling down or the business is not where it needs to be, like you won't always be there either, as long as you feel safe to innovate. Hmm. What does Amanda look like at her worst self? Uh, a blubbering mess. Uh, somebody who can't find her words. No, Amanda at her worst self would be somebody who has to be isolated, alone. If I didn't have internet uh, during this pandemic in particular, um, I did learn to cook. Um, which is, you know, people can laugh all they want, but I would make mac and cheese and sandwiches only. And now I make like chicken curry and ratatouille and crepes. Like, I mean, I got, I learned some fancy mm. stuff. Um, I would say me at my worst self is somebody who's not approaching things with curiosity. It's when I find myself uh, mm. thinking very rigidly. And that's usually when I can identify like, oh, I'm feeling anxious about something. What is it? And that's when I talked mm -hmm. about not really recognizing those internal indicators and waiting until it's an external issue. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I would be the least proud of, the worst version. It seems to me, though, that like you've developed a really keen sense of self-awareness, right? And this is definitely a learned skill. I don't think anyone's born with like acute self-awareness. Um, and that self-awareness is like the first step to approaching any kind of challenging anxiety or worse self, whatever it is, like, how did you, how did you craft that self-awareness? Mm. 
therapy. Therapy is very helpful. I think, you know, not always relying on friends and family. I'm a big proponent of, of demystifying and destigmatizing uh, having access to mental health services. I think the other part is, is a, a bunch of opportunities. So you can't um, navigate a situation that you avoid. And so I have tried to not step aside from difficult conversations or challenges. I've just tried to navigate through each one and, and you know, Within the organization where I work, I have the opportunity to speak to many behavior analysts and, and our behavior technicians, and we'll come up with a new, you know, we're going to do X now, like, like, hey, let's really remember to, like, call a child by their name or, like, not call across the room. It could be something really kind of small, right? But what I say to everybody is the first step of this change is an awareness campaign. So I want everyone to feel comfortable and to welcome their colleagues to say like, hey, I noticed that you just did this, like, or hey, are you in a place where I can offer you some feedback right now? Um, and even stopping and having that, that talk for ourselves. And so I think that many people who work at Breakthrough would tell you if you ask them like, you know, how, do, how does Dr. Kelly go about rolling out change? And they'll say the first thing is the awareness campaign. And so it's, it's not genuine to to tell people to do that and to fail to model it. And so um, I think in leadership positions in particular, you really need to be extra hyper aware so that you can can have if behaviors are being imitated by others, you're going to have this really massive trickle down domino effect when people see you living it. Mm. Um, and you mentioned earlier about being vulnerable. You know, I think there's a balance of that with how much we share, but not sharing anything, I think, creates uh, the illusion that there's perfection as the as the aim. And it's not. It's always progress. It's always elevation. And, you know, um, letting people know in particular that, like, you might have given the rule, but you might still also need help to be aware to, to follow the rule or whatever the expectation yes. is. Like, we're imperfect. We're human. It's okay. Indeed. It's absolutely okay. It's something to be celebrated, right? As a human. I, I want to highlight um, or really pinpoint this idea of, you mentioned, uh, you kind of threw it out there of, hey, are you open to feedback now? That is such a powerful technique to use as a supervisor, coach, mentor, um, and just recognize um, when your team and, and ask your team directly, you know, are you going to be open to feedback? And it's okay if they say no, not right now. That's, you know, chaptering a one on one or separately. Um, but that's one of those nuances, I think, superpowers of supervision. And in fact, Amanda, so when I used to, I, I would lead like backcountry trips, right? We could be out for weeks with like 14 and 15 year olds in the backcountry. <clears throat> we had this, uh, this acronym HALT. Before you give feedback, halt. Is someone hungry, angry, uh, tired? I can't remember what the L was. Um, and that's in the backcountry, but like, I think the same thing applies, right? Like make sure we are meeting people where they are when we're trying to shape their behavior or give them feedback. Lots of wisdom in that. Yeah, I also would add to this that as, as a leader, as a supervisor, something that people can do is to create awareness and ask the question, of how does somebody best receive feedback. So that's something I love to do in interviews. And then when people are, are on board with us, I'll say, what's the best way for you? How do you prefer to receive feedback? Um, and we'll get different responses and people who've actually said, you know, I really appreciate that you, you heard me when I said, I'd like it to be one-on-one -on -one. or when someone said, I actually would like it when it's small group, you know, those kinds of different ways. And then as, 
as a leader as well, or I think anybody can do this, but particularly in leadership roles, the best way to get really meaningful feedback is to invite it. So I will not wait for someone to give me feedback. I will ask them for that feedback because I think that creates the impression that one, I really want to hear it. I don't want to hear like, yes, you're just doing really great. Because even if I am like, that's not specific enough. What is, what is working for you? What is not working for you? Um, and when I've asked that question, it's almost always been met with some real, uh, I would say organic responses and honest um, uh, and opportunities for that partnership in, uh, in working with uh, my colleagues and working with my team members. Mm, amen. Constantly be seeking <laughs> feedback as a leader. What a great takeaway. Um, I will right, throw one question at me. Anything. Uh, any of this isn't rehearsed at all. Answer on the spot. Throw one question at you. Anything, anything, anything. Okay. If you had to teach a concept while skateboarding, what concept would you teach somebody? Humility. <laughs> Humility. And here's, here's how I would do it. It is because I would fall literally on my ass and I've done that before on a skateboard. I am not a good skateboarder and I would show, Hey, this is how you get back up, even though you're hurt. And like my life motto, you try anything twice. So I'm going to jump back on and I'm going to say, tact what I learned from that failure and see if I could do better the next time. And then I'm going to fall over immediately again. That's a good one. Oof. Beautiful. That's hard. Modeling. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. So Amanda, let's do some uh, hot take questions. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Uh, we'll do, we'll do a handful of these. Um, all right. So you're on your deathbed. What's the one thing you want to be remembered for? Mm. Being a kind person. What's your most important self-care practice? I really try to turn my phone in particular or the updates off when I'm not working. So for me, sometimes that means I might need to delete emails um, off in, or email inboxes off my phone for the weekend and then be proficient at getting them back on on Monday. Um, and really just in general, and this is something I really resonate when I spoke with, uh, Jonathan Tarbucks, he talked about whenever you're doing something, give it a hundred percent. Um, so I try really hard not to multitask when I'm talking with you, I'm talking with you when I'm on the call with somebody else, I'm, I'm on the call. If I'm reading a book, I want to be reading that book or that article. And if, even if I can only focus a hundred percent for 10 minutes, then I'm going to do it a hundred percent for 10 minutes. Mm, love it. Um, if you could cancel all meetings and skip all your responsibilities for a day, what would you spend the day doing? One day. Well, I actually did that a few weeks ago. I took a, uh, we have mental health days and I took our mental health day, which basically means there's, uh, you don't need to call in ahead of time. It's, it's a sort of a free pass. And, uh, what did I do that day? Let's see. Basically I spent some time feeling beautiful. I went and got my hair dyed and cut. Um, I came out with blue uh, underneath and that wasn't pre-planned. Uh, so it's, you know, being open to adventure and in the moment, I, I just sort of was leisure, leisurely about how I started my day, whereas sometimes I feel like I'm awake, let's hit the ground running. That wasn't what I did that day. Actually, it was a gorgeous day. I went and had lunch by myself. I had a jalapeno pineapple mimosa because that sounded like a cool drink mm. uh took a walk in this park called Yola park in orlando hung out with some 
swans and sort of watched them for a while, <laughs> kind of filmed them for a bit. And uh, then I ended up kind of capping that day with dinner with a friend and, and trying a new restaurant. It was really quite a magical day, but what was so unique about it was that it was 100% focused on me. And I sometimes feel guilty. I think we all do if we were to do that. We have other responsibilities. We have children, pets, friends, colleagues. And, uh, and guess what? The world was still spinning and it's still going on when I got back the next day. So that's what I did do when I took an entire day. Ah, delightful. You had me at jalapeno pineapple mimosa. Yeah. <laughs> what? What's the best Madonna song ever? All right, best Madonna song ever. I mean, there's so many, there's so many. I can tell you which is not her best song. I'm gonna start there. Um, American Pie was best done by Don McLean and I believe should have truly been left with Don McLean. Um, as far as Madonna, I love some of the really old and original songs, uh, Express Yourself, Papa Don't Preach, um, all of those in particular. And I think back to some of those videos. And now, now when you ask me about music, musicians and their songs, I'm not thinking about all the other artistic expression that goes with um, sort of the artists such as Madonna and, and the 80s in particular for me. Mm, awesome. Classics. So if you could give your 18-year-old self one piece of advice, what would it be? Yeah, I mean, it would just be keep doing what you're doing. You got this. Um, for me, I, I, when I was four, I wanted to be a teacher. When I was three, maybe, I wanted to be a teacher. And when I was 18, I met a child with autism, and I was like, I want to do... I want to, I want to do this, whatever this is. And, uh, my mom was like, what do you mean you're going to move 500 miles away? Not when I was 18, when I was 21. But I guess what I mean is like, follow your passion, stay in your path. And like, you never know where you're going to end up. Never had any idea that, that we'd all be talking to each other all over the internet. You know I mean? We, we had, we didn't have a dial up internet when I was a child, <laughs> not until a little bit later, right? <laughs> we had the floppy disk and things like that. So like you have no idea yes. where the world is gonna be, let alone where you're gonna be in the world and just keep your options open. Mm. All right, last one. You can only wear one style of footwear for the rest of your life. What would it be? Uh, barefoot, totally 100% barefoot. I despise wearing shoes and uh, it's what I loved about Hawaii in particular um, but uh, you know I have always despised wearing shoes even in New England um, but I think just the connectivity to the earth you know I've gone to get pedicures and they're mm -hmm. like oh hey you have a callus I'm like don't touch those that is how I navigate the earth <laughs> like don't, leave those there they're my best accessory um, yeah yeah I don't need shoes Ah, I love that. Ah, I love it. You know, so I, I, I recently learned Native Americans and others who walk around um, and learn to walk without shoes, they walk very differently than we do. You think, you know, with sneakers or anything else on, you're walking heel, toe, heel, toe. When you don't have shoes, you don't do that. It's almost like a toe to heel, toe to mm -hmm. heel, toe to heel, almost like you're feeling out the ground. Ah, that's, mm, I love it. Amanda, where can people find you on social media? Social media, Behavior Babe, all the things, www.behaviorbabe.com. My email address has not changed in 15 years, so it's behaviorbabe at yahoo.com. Instagram, I've not yet mastered TikTok, you know, those kinds of places you can find me. I would say, you know, one, one thing I would say to people, especially when we get back to in-person conferences, is 
always reach out and c come over and say hi if, if you want to, if, if that's something that you're thinking about. Um, I find that's true for many people in our field. And sometimes people don't, they're hesitant, they stand back and it's like, don't do that. You know, everybody I find has a really incredible story. So, you know, be willing to introduce yourself, create those connections and share your story. Mm, that's beautiful. And I know you're absolutely genuine and earnest about that. Amanda, thank you so much. This has been awesome. You're welcome. Thanks for the opportunity, Jonathan. Thanks for listening to Building Better Businesses in ABA podcast. Stay tuned for our next exciting episode. In the meantime, please like, subscribe, share, and comment. We value your feedback. Don't forget to follow us on social media at elementrcm.ai.